Hey man, good morning everyone. My name is Luke. If I've never met you, it's a privilege to share a message with you today. Um, let me start by asking you a question. Are you ready? Do you want your life to count for something? Do you want your life to count for something? Do you want, do you want to live a life that matters? Do you want a, a life that matters throughout eternity, makes a difference in this world and the next, but also a life for yourself that has meaning, that you have a sense of meaning in your life. We live in a society that says this, the greatest goal of your life is to be happy. And if you want to be the most happy, you have to be true to yourself. You've heard this before, hey? Uh, how do you be true to yourself? Being true to yourself means simply removing all the re restrictions that stop you from being your true self. So, so you remove all these restrictions that stop you from being uh, who you want to be. So then you'll be free to be your true self and you'll be happy. So ultimate freedom equals ultimate happiness or personal happiness in our lives. But it's not working. We're so weary of commitments that we don't want to commit to things anymore until the absolute last minute because the worst, thing, the worst case scenario is that you can commit to something, then you're locked in, and then what if something better comes up? And then you, you miss out on that thing, you know? FOMO. Um, and, 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 and so we are now reluctant to commit. We don't want to take responsibility. We want to, we, we want to just keep ourselves free to be ourselves in the moment. But here's what's happened. In avoiding commitments... My observation is, for what it's worth, is we're losing meaning. Because meaningful things in life only happen in the context of commitment. Meaningful relationships only happen when you commit yourself to someone. Lasting change only happens when you commit yourself to something. And during seasons of hardship in life and working through those things lead to richness in life. I want to say to you that meaning does not come from ultimate freedom in the absence of commitment, but that true meaning comes from having the right commitments in your life and holding to them even in spite of your current feelings. I mean, I know that's like a swear word in our culture today, but, but even holding the course, even though you might feel at times of hitting the eject button, when we, when, we, when we stay in those things, meaning comes to us on the other side of those things. So I want to talk today about how to live a, a life of meaning that matters even in the face of opposition and hardship and taking hits and enduring. That, 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 that real meaning happens in that place. Before I get in, just two things. Where's my family? We're normally in the, in the first meeting. It was so rainy today that my teenage son said, Dad, please can we just come to the second meeting today? <laughs> and so, so it's starting, hey? Uh, that is happening. They'll be arriving in, in, uh, for the second meeting. Um, but uh, next week, I will not be here. And I'd love to just share with you and invite you to pray with me as to where I'll be. Um, next week, where will I be? I'll be in the Eastern Cape. I'll be um, strengthening 50 or so eldership. Um, there's eldership couples and key staff gather every year for the, from the Eastern Cape. So that's uh, Klebecha and uh, East London. All those advanced relating churches gather together for three days um, and for a strengthening time. And uh, they've invited me in to come and be a part of speaking at that time. And um, I'm going to be doing two talks. And the first talk is going to be, they asked me to speak about faith. And I'm going to be speaking, adapting our journey through 2 Corinthians, speaking about um, to these leaders about how to have faith for scary things in the future, lessons from 2 Corinthians, lessons from Paul's letter. So I want you to know how our journey here is impacting other leaders on the other side of the country. And the second talk we're going to be talking through there is how to build healthy, strengthening partnerships with outside leaders. Out of something that we've lived in with Rigby and Honor and an ongoing partnership that we live in over here and how they can live into that over there as well. So pray for me. Um, know that our story 
is blessing many leaders in, in other parts of uh, South Africa as well. And I'm looking forward to coming back uh, and preaching uh, and being part of the church again uh, soon. I leave on Wednesday morning very early and I get back just in time for our elders meeting on Monday night. So... Anyway, where are we today? Um, we are in our 2 Corinthians journey, and we are still in part one. There will be three parts. Um, I think about chapter eight, we trans- transition it to chapter, uh, into the second part, and then chapter 10 to 13 will be the, the third part in looking at Christian maturity. But um, today we're looking at uh, 2 Corinthians uh, ver- chapter five and verse one to 10. Uh, I'm gonna share with you after reading it the big idea of the passage, and then we're gonna look at three points as we go through. Why do we do this? Because we believe that God's word is timeless truth for our lives. As a church, God's word has the answers, not me as a preacher, not us as leaders, but we bring our lives every week under the word of God, trusting that as we look at God's truth, we would be shaped. And so we would be changed in line with God's word. So let's uh, read together 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 to 10. Paul writing to a church in Corinth. I'll give you the context after reading it. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, he's speaking about our physical bodies here on earth, this physical fleshly body now. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, a resurrection body in Christ. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, We may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. Remember last week, I, I think he, he said, so, we're, so we do not lose heart. And then the week before, so, so, so therefore we do not lose heart. It's this refrain that he's speaking about. He's answering the same question. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we, work, we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we're of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Christ is the hymn there. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we come before your word, but we do not do so alone. We thank you that you have sent your spirit. That every Christ follower here today is filled with the spirit of God. And that your spirit within us would lead us to your truth, Christ. Would help us to hear your voice through your words, we pray. If you're not yet a Christ follower, what a prayer to pray. Say, God, would you illuminate your word to me? Holy Spirit, even speak to me. Would you do that, I pray. Amen. Big idea today is quite simple. Present faithfulness because of future hope. Present faithfulness, faithfulness in the here and now. Uh, Paul is faithful here and now in the face of persecution and opposition because of his future hope. This is, in a sense, part two of last week's message, which was part one, where Paul began to answer the question, how do you speak so boldly in the face of such persecution, such weakness? Paul, you're so weak, you're so feeble, you're, you're always sick, you're always in prison, you're always being beat. Just look at you. You're, there's nothing to be admired about your, your outward life. It, oh, it's scary. I don't want anything like that. that that's a, why should we trust you? Why, 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 why should we back your boldness? Your boldness seems um, 
it doesn't match how weak and how feeble you are, the church is saying to him. The dilemma that Paul faced with the church in Corinth was Corinth was a city that valued success. It valued prosperity. It valued strength. It had a clear vision of the good life. Much like our city in Cape Town, this vision that we all grow up pursuing, you work hard in school and you get yourself a good qualification so that you can get yourself a good job, so that you can earn a decent salary, so that you can buy a nice house, so that you can get a nice car, so that you can go on nice holidays, so that you can have enough money one day to retire well and you can do all the things you want to do. I mean, we, we, we hear this every day. We, we, we grow up with the same thing, this vision of the good life, safe, secure beyond the reaches of what happens in South Africa and the economy and all of these things. We, we, we dream of these things. They had a vision of the good life. The problem for Paul was that Paul didn't have a vision of the good life to pursue with his life. Paul's primary aim in life was to preach the gospel. Paul's call in his life was to preach the gospel. He was set aside when he came to faith as a gospel preacher in a world that crucified Jesus. Preaching meant persecution. Preaching, preaching meant punishment. Preaching meant imprisonment. And so... so called to preach. What happens when you preach? You, you get imprisoned, you get beaten, you get persecuted, you get weak, which is not exactly a vision of success. And so the more Paul preached, the more Paul suffered, the weaker he got. And the more the church who is caught up in this vision of the good life and success wants to look at Paul and go, why should we even listen to that guy? Look at him. He's so weak. And they want to dismiss him and they want to write him off. And so Paul's writing this letter, in a sense, contending for why they should still trust him, for why they should still invite him to speak into their lives, for for why they should listen to him when he calls their blind spots and calls them to repent from sin. Word has got back to Paul that there are these other super apostles in their fancy cars with their gold chains around their necks, driving into Corinth, right? And everybody wants to listen to those guys because they got the good life, right? And so they're saying, why, why should we listen to Paul? Listen to these cool guys who are rocking the apostolic party, right? And so Paul writes in this section of the letter. And, he, and he's writing this section of the letter because he believes they've been blinded by, by the culture to the reality of Christ and who he is and what he's doing. And he's trying to pull, their, pull the curtains open so they can see what's really going on behind the scenes in reality. And Paul's saying, the source of my boldness, the reason I'm so bold is this. I am certain of my resurrection in Christ. I am certain of my resurrection in Christ. It is certainty in the resurrection of Christ. And Paul is certain about his role in preparing the church for their resurrection in Christ. And so he took, the, he took the responsibility of calling the church's sinfulness very seriously because he knew that there would be coming a day where he was going to be resurrected in an eternal body before Christ and along with him, the church was going to be. And he knew that he had a role to play in a sense like the bridesmaid preparing the bride for that day. And so, so, so he doesn't want the church to get to that day before Christ and think, flip, we missed it. We wasted our lives. We listened to the voice of our culture and lived for the here and now, and we didn't live for eternity. And so this is what Paul continues to say today. Uh, my, three points. Number one, living with the hope of heaven. Let's read from verse one to verse five. For we know that if this tent... Our body is, that is earthly, our earthly home is destroyed. We have a building from God, an eternal resurrected body in Christ, a house that is not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent, what is life like in this tent? We groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, longing 
for that ultimate body that doesn't get sick, it's not weak, it's not feeble, doesn't, doesn't perish. It's not getting older every day, it's, it's secure. If, if indeed by putting it on that we may not be found naked, for while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. Not that we just become disembodied spirits, that we'd be further clothed. Um, that with what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared for us this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Paul began this letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. This is what he said. He said, He delivered us from such deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope, and He will deliver us again. He began this letter by saying, I'm confident. I'm, I'm in trouble right now. I'm taking hard hits, etc., etc., but I'm confident God's going to deliver me. And we preached about that, and we should have preached about that because that's what the Bible said. But Paul writes this section now because he wants us to know his ultimate hope and confidence in life does not rest on his temporary deliverance from his circumstances. He's saying, I'm confident God's going to deliver me. But here's what Paul knows. He says, because I'm called to preach the gospel, even when God delivers me, guess what I'm going to do next? I'm going to preach the gospel. Guess what's going to happen again? I'm going to end up back in prison. That's what's going to happen. His ultimate hope is not in his present deliverance from his current circumstances. And so here he explains the ultimate source of his confidence. It's his resurrection upon death. In fact, the instance that, he's not tempor- the instance that he is not temporarily delivered from his circumstances is in fact the instance that he will be ultimately delivered to life with Christ. And he gives us a picture to understand what he's saying. Remember, tents, Paul's a tent maker by trade. That's his business. He was a marketplace apostle. He earned an income by making tents. So he's qualified to give this illustration. He says, he gives us a picture to understand this. He says, this body and this life that I live in, this physical body now is like a tent compared with my resurrection body, a solid building made out of bricks. A friend of mine was in Corinth two weeks ago. And he sent me a video there, I'll show it to you. He actually sent us as a church a video from there. And around there, 2,000 odd years later, all these ruins of buildings, great big stone buildings, but 2,000 years later, they're still standing. All of those tents, the time of Paul, are long gone. And he says, right now my tent body is subject to suffering and aging and weakness. There's some in our current community right now who know exactly what it is to live in a tent, who know exactly what it is to live life in a shack, to even at times be homeless, to feel exposed, to feel vulnerable, with the hope that one day I would be able to win through these circumstances and finally have a brick house that will last, that will be secure, that will be warm, and that will be safe. And Paul says, you probably better than anyone in our community understand what I'm saying. In this metaphor, the tent, Paul says, is destroyed Death is a very real threat for Paul. In many instances, he faced the possibility of being martyred in his ministry, being stoned, being shipwrecked. Stoned doesn't mean getting high, okay? Stoned meant dying from having rocks thrown at you, shipwrecked. I thought I'd just qualify that for the younger guys. Um, Facing mob riots, um, all of these things were very real for him. Um, You can't take anything for granted, uh, uh, 
but, but in, in all of that threat, that was very real for his life. He was living constantly with a guillotine, just waiting like this. But, but he knew, my hope is not in my temporary deliverance. My hope is in the resurrection that comes from Christ. For, for, for Paul, death meant being transformed. And awaiting him was an eternal body that was free from sin, that was free from the power of death, that was free from suffering. It was in a place beyond the reach of harm. And for him, it was a tremendous upgrade that filled him with hope. And it meant he could take hits. What was his current experience life? What was life in the tent like? He said it was groaning. I'm groaning. I'm looking forward. I'm longing for. He's yearning for that day. He longs to be with God, free from the suffering of this life. It's not just that the suffering is tough. That is awesome. So good. I mean, I hope it's not serious screaming. And it's fun screaming. Um, it's not just that Paul wants delivering from suffering. That's not just what he's saying here. Thanks for checking. Uh, <laughs> it's not just that he wants deliverance from his temporary suffering. It's not just that current suffering is tough. It's that Paul feels in this present moment the disconnect from ultimate reality. This is who I am. For all of eternity, I will live with a solid body remade in Christ. This is only like however many years I get. For Paul, I don't know exactly how many it was, but it was less than you and I probably get today. And so for Paul, it wasn't just this is suffering and I'm, I'm yearning for that day. For him, he lived with a sense of this is imperfect. I, I know I, it, it, I'm away from home. It's like, it's like I'm longing for something that I haven't yet realized, but this thing I'm longing for is more true and more real and more present for all of eternity in my life than my current reality. So it's a, it's a feeling away from home as sorts. And, and for Paul, the thing that was a guarantee for him, the thing that he looked to prove it to the Corinthian church was life and the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse five, Paul says, uh, he, he's, he's seeking to say, do you know how I know that this resurrection body is real? Because because God has given us his spirit as a deposit, as a guarantee for that. The Corinthian church had had such an experience of the power of the spirit of God. You read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and re, you read verse 14. They'd had an undeniable experience of the power of the spirit of God. And Paul is saying to him, you know that experience that you know that you had. That is a foretaste of what God is ultimately going to do in and through you. And it's that is a guarantee. That is a down payment. That is a deposit of ultimately the resurrection life that awaits for you. And that is the first sign that that resurrection life is breaking into the present. So we live in light of heaven. The second thing that, that I want us to see, and now Paul begins to describe heaven for us here. And the second point is heaven is being with Christ. Verse six and verse, to verse eight. So we are always of good courage. Man, you want to know why I don't give up? You want to know why I don't throw in the towel? You, you want to know man, no matter what they throw at me, I carry on preaching. You want to know why? We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we're of good courage. We'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. It's so clear that this is an identity issue from Paul. It's not just a theology. It's not just a doctrine he believes. It's an identity. Paul sees himself primarily as a citizen of heaven. His life on earth in the tent is he's here on a visa. 
He's here on a visa. His suffering, his hardship, his weakness, all of it has an expiry date. And it's not the most important factor in his life because the, 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 the loudest voice, the, the, the greatest center, the very core of his being is understanding that I am a citizen of another world. I am temporarily on a visa deployed here to preach the gospel. I'm going to faithfully do this just for a while. And soon enough, this life will expire. And there my true identity will, I'll, I'll live into it. And, and, and he shows us what that true identity is. He says, he says, there is something in my life that is louder than the lashes. There is something that is more real than the shackles that I feel. And you know what it is? Verse six was the clue there and echoed again in verse eight. That right now, the, 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 the way I describe being in the tent, Paul says, is I am away from the Lord. I'm away from the Lord. The great hope that I carry in my heart is that I will be with Christ. For Paul, heaven, the thing that he longs to and looks toward, for Paul, the resurrection body, the, the, the building there, the, the greatest factor, the most important thing about that place is being with Jesus. It is this, this hope and this, this, no, this knowledge that there will come a moment in the future when all of this is past, that, that nothing else will matter as much for me as I will be with Christ. Maybe it's worth stopping if you're a Christ follower and asking this question, what's the deepest longing of your heart? What's the deepest longing of your heart? Is it deliverance from your current predicament? Or is it being at home with Christ? Is it achievement of some goal or milestone in your future? Or is it being at home with Christ? Is it Jesus and being with him that captures your imagination at rest? Is it Christ who sobers you to the impotence of this life's ability to truly satisfy you? Is it Christ who consoles you in your trials? The prince of all preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, Spurgeon who battled terribly with depression himself, this is what he said. He said, the streets of gold, speaking of heaven, the streets of gold will have small attraction to us. The music of the angels will but slightly enchant us, compared with the king in the midst of the throne. He it is who will rivet our gaze, absorb our thoughts, enchain our affection, and move all our sacred passions to their highest pitch of celestial ardor. We shall see God. I, I think we've got a little bit of a not generally speaking, we can have a narcissistic view of heaven. What is heaven? Oh, it's me and my mansion on the mountain, you know, just uh, loving life, doing all the things that I want to do. Hey, I mean, that's heaven, isn't it? No, none of that stuff will, that stuff will hardly matter. You are, that will hold a candle. It, it'll, it'll, be, it'll, it'll be so small when compared to, to seeing Christ. It's not, it's not going to be we're going to do lots of fun stuff, but the ultimate wonder of heaven for Paul wasn't, wasn't just the cease of suffering. I'm not saying those things don't matter. But for him, the greatest thing was being and seeing Jesus. The third thing I want us to, um, and we, we're committing to preaching shorter sermons, so I'm um, going to move on swiftly here. Uh, number three, living with the soberness of judgment. 
living with the soberness of judgment. Verse 9 and 10, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Christ. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, in the tent life, whether good or evil. Paul makes it his great aim in life to please Christ. Having been saved, having been himself conquered by Christ, he was an enemy of Christ and Christ conquered him. And now Jesus is leading him along a path whereby he's dying to his old life and and, and being resurrected into the new life with Christ. He's been saved, he's been conquered, he's been given a new identity, he's been given a new power, the power of the Spirit within his life. He makes it his life's great purpose to please Christ knowing that upon receiving his resurrection body, he will not go off to skip uh, into his isolated dwelling in the mountains in heaven. He will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And he has a vivid understanding of what that moment will look like. He says, for we must all. Paul's writing to the church here. He's not writing to secular Corinth. He's writing to believers. Every Christ follower, we must all. And he speaks of Christ's seat as a seat of judgment. Our lives, what we did and what we didn't do, with them, Paul says, will be judged. What we do in our mortal body, our temporary tent bodies, is still of eternal significance. It's not like whether you're in or out, it's you're in. But what does that look like? And Paul says this, he says, we will receive, where's the verse here? What is due for what he has done in the body? There is a verdict that we will receive. Each one will receive a verdict based on how we lived in this life. I mean, this is, this is, this is real. This is sobering. And so remember the church is saying to Paul, Paul, why are you so bold? What gives you the right to call us on our sin? Remember I explained to you how we have one Corinthians in our Bible, we're reading two Corinthians, but in the middle was a letter that was lost to history called the letter of tears or the severe letter. And that letter is where Paul took the church to task. He wrote to them sternly because they refused to heed his warning to repent of their sin here. And the church went further walk about some further opposition arose and he called them back. And uh, some have responded positively and others are saying, no, no, let's follow those other guys. And so now we read this letter. But Paul is giving a defense for how can I be so feeble and so weak and yet be so bold to call, to call you on your sin? And his answer is, I know I will stand before you one day at the judgment seat of Christ. And I want to know that I've done everything I can to make sure that you are the most beautiful, wonderful vision of a bride before you are handed over to Christ as the bridegroom that day. He, he sees himself as someone preparing the church so that she may be without blemish and perfect before Christ one day. And so therefore, he has focus in his life. He has boldness about how he lives and he lives with a tremendous sense of faith. What is it that he sees in heaven waiting for him? Is being with Christ. That is the ultimate factor and receiving from Christ what is due as well, based on how he's lived in his tenth life. So as we come into land, Christ followers, and perhaps those listening in as well, wondering what a life with Christ looks like. I think for Paul, when he looked at judgment, it was sober, but it was thrilling as well. The prospect of knowing that I get to live now in such a way 
that, can, that, that brings about reward from Christ. We, we, we hear judgment, we always do this. We, oh no, I'm so terrified. Oh no, I you've got to realize, for Paul, he knew, Christ has conquered me, I'm dying to myself. Sin is dying in me. The Spirit of God is in me. I have the Word of God. I have the truth. I have the Gospel. I'm living a life that matters for Jesus. Bring on judgment. I can't wait. And the same potential is there for you and I. We would, we would live now in light of that day. So let me ask you a question. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, your alarm goes off. Or maybe when you sit in front of your desk, the first thing before all the meetings start and, and all the phones ring and all the email, before you open that inbox, that scary button that you click, right? You close your eyes and you think, what if I lived this Monday day as if everything I did and said and prayed and gave and served contributed to my eternity. What would I do differently today? See, because we, we, the danger is we take these wonderful, powerful truths and we don't bed them in the nine to five of ordinary life. And I don't know that we need to have the answer to today but I think the, the thought of living each moment, each meeting, each conversation, each decision, e each engagement, each diary appointment in light of eternity, if you can have that, as, as uh, Tim used the word beautifully, earworm in your head with you, I think it changes how we do ordinary life. You see, for the Corinthians, they, like us, were so concerned with their earthly bodies and their earthly lives. They were so caught up in this present life that it dwarfed their thoughts of the next life. Their perspective was warped. It, it was so tempting to spend money and focus their time trying to preserve this temporary life, to, to, to keep the good life for the here and now, that they did not give sufficient thought and focus to the resurrection life to come. Uh, it's so tempting for you and I to do the same thing. To live as if living our best lives now is the most important thing and kind of just squeaking into eternity by the skin of our teeth. What that is, ultimately, is it's a temporary identity sprinkled with an eternal one as well. With Paul, For Paul, it was the other way around. He had an, an eternal identity in his life with Christ that then meant his tent life was in tow. That's the perspective I'd love to leave us with. As my American friends would say, it makes us cut the baloney. <laughs> Where's Scott? Did I say that right? Baloney. Hey, just cut the baloney. That takes up so much of our time and our money and our hopes, etc., etc. Tom Wright says this. Last word to N.T. Wright. The hope of heaven. Jesus is at the moment present with us but hidden behind that invisible veil which keeps heaven and earth apart. Seems to me at times Paul had a thinner invisible veil than we did. And which we pierce in those moments such as prayer and sacraments and reading of the scripture and our work with the poor. Maybe we'd slip a bracket in there and say, and in our suffering and imprisonment for preaching the gospel. And maybe somehow in that place that Paul saw these things. When the veil seems particularly thin, but one day the veil will be lifted. Earth and heaven will be one. Jesus will be permanently, will be pr personally present. And every knee shall bow at his name. Creation will be renewed. The dead will be raised. And God's new world will at last be in place. Full 
of new prospects and possibilities. Can we stand together? And just, I want to invite you just to reflect before we go into a song. What does it look like to live each day in light of that day? What does it look like to live each day to parent your children? Moms and dads, to parent your children, not just to prepare them for this world. Hey Amen, I know, I feel the pressure. Give them the best education, the best this, the best this, the best opportunities. It's a hard world out there. I'm not, I'm not discrediting that stuff. Saying if, that's, if that's the loudest voice in your head, when we parent our kids, perhaps we have a temporary identity, the sprinkling of eternity. What does it look like to raise children to live for the world to come? To have a hope that one day we, like Paul, will send them out into this world on a visa to bring change and renewal and make a difference. What does it look like to be single? Yes, with the hope of being married for some of us. But that's not your primary identity. Your primary identity is whole, secure, beloved with Christ for all eternity. This is but merely a visa life, a tent. I think some of the temptations that seem so massive might just find a renewed perspective. The temptation to hitch your wagon to the first kind of prospect. Maybe you let some go and say, no, actually I'm not willing to compromise on, on these things. This is, this is just, it's not fatal, it's not ultimate for me. Maybe the temptation to do business in such a way that it's all about me and what I can get in this life. And actually, Christ says, everything that is done in this life echoes throughout eternity. Not exactly Christ's words, but... would you speak to us? Lord, would you, would you cause us to see where we've, where we've got sucked into a temporary identity, a, a, a tent identity, rather than a permanent building with you identity. That our present would be in tow with our eternal future. Sober us, Lord Jesus, where we need sobering. Forgive us where we've created visions of heaven that actually center around ourselves and not you, Jesus. As good and noble as they may be, they're about us and not about you. Jesus, would you give us a vision of you that is so accurate? <coughs> and because we've seen you accurately, we can see just how wonderfully better you are than everything else. That it's not just everything else is, 
is bad or less. It's that you are so wonderful that everything else finds its appropriate place in light of being with you in Christ. And so Holy Spirit, would you do that in us? Perhaps you're here, you're not a Christ follower. I want to say that the God of this universe is so good and so loving and so kind. It's nothing you did to deserve this. As Ty so beautifully said, we don't worship because we're kind people. There's nothing you did to deserve this. But he is so loving and so good and so kind that he, he literally became a human being to die on a cross in order that in, in your death, in your struggles, in your weakness, as Paul was describing, that, that new life would come to you, that your tent existence would pass and you would be welcomed into a permanent building with God where he would be with you. That's the life of a Christian, forgiven and being renewed and transformed so that we begin to take on his likeness. Christ, would you reveal yourself to me, I pray. Tomorrow in my office, before my wife, before my husband, before my friends, before my parents, before my neighbors, before my schoolmates, Christ, would you cause the reality of who you are and my eternity with you to, 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 to be with me present in that moment, to shape how I live tomorrow, we pray. Let's sing together.